for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I'm John Jagay. I can't think of a better guest to have for the first recording of this podcast. Now, full disclosure, I'm not sure on our release order for the episodes yet, but this is actually our first recording. And he is the man who is the executive producer of the video documentary for the 40th anniversary of JPZ. We have him on as we celebrate 50 now. And just to prove what a nice guy he is, I started reaching out to people this morning. And he hit me back and he said, well, I'm in studio over at CBS uh, on backup duty in case our signal fails from Florida after Hurricane Ian, but I'm happy to hop on with you in a couple hours. And I was like, great, let's do it. Welcome, Scott McFarlane. Hey, that's what we do. That's what our family does. We drop everything when somebody calls for help. And I think that's the spirit of WJPZ more than anything. Well, I certainly appreciate you being here. I know our audience will as well. There's so much to talk to here with you in just a short amount of time, but take us a little bit through your career and how you ended up as the congressional correspondent for CBS News, beginning with your time at Syracuse. Yeah, well, it all started with WJPZ, as it should. I mean, that's the first outlet so many of us had for this bug or this passion for radio and broadcasting we all came to Syracuse with, or we all developed while we were there. I came to Syracuse hungry to try broadcasting any way I could, and WJPZ was the best way to do it. The energy that pulsated out of the place you could feel at the moment you walked in, the spirit of the students, more importantly, it's the first place I've ever walked in, perhaps the most recent place I've ever walked in in my life, (laughs) the only place I've walked in in my life where everybody seemed like me, yeah, for better or for worse. Um, (laughs) I felt like I belonged. And you know, a kid at 18 years old, I never really felt like I belonged somewhere. And I've never quite felt like I belonged so much as I did at WJPZ in the years since. So it all started there. And to this day, now that I'm a, working as a professional in broadcasting, I can tell you I'm still leaning on all those lessons, all those reps I got at WJPZ. There are days where I'm assigned a task of speaking to a few million people without a script without a teleprompter, and I'm expected to do so exquisitely, really well. (laughs) And the only way you can get to this point is by doing 1,000 broadcasts before you graduate. Right. 1,000 broadcasts at WJPZ, and all the muscle memory you form eventually pays off. I I have an odd trajectory from WJPZ to CBS News. It took about a quarter century. I worked in some local television news, some local radio news for a while. I was in Michigan for five years and liked it quite a bit. Ended up coming to Washington, D.C. shortly after, initially as a congressional aide, as a congressional staffer for a year to um, kind of get a taste of Washington, D.C. from the inside out. Mm -hmm. After that, I did eight years as a congressional reporter for the Cox Media Group and all the TV and radio stations they own. Then the next eight years, I was uh, with the local NBC TV station here in Washington. One of the Cox News directors liked me, and when he came to run the NBC station in Washington, he brought me with him, which was awesome. I didn't have to move. I just moved into a different office down the street, Sure, but it was a great job. And then uh, New Year's Eve 2021, I began working at CBS News as their congressional correspondent, where I am today. So you mentioned the muscle memory and the reps you got at JPZ. 
Are there any other examples you can think of of stuff you learned at JPZ specifically that serves you so well now in your current role? Yeah, WJPC gives you your first taste of how to be a good player in the sandbox with other people. Because, <laughs> I mean, if you're in the broadcasting industry or pretty much any communications field, you have three distinctive things that are uniquely stressful that other industries may not have. First of all, you have unyielding, relentless deadlines. Mm-hmm. That can be stressful. You have competition among colleagues, which not every profession offers, where you're all kind of competing for the same lead story, the same play-by-play assignment, the same error time. And competing with your own teammates can be stressful. And also, not sure if you're aware, but the broadcasting industry tends to attract some dynamic people. (laughs) (laughs) That's very well put. In every sense of the word. And that can be stressful. So you have these three unique, distinctive, inflammatory stresses in your life. And you have to navigate them. You have to carry them. And you have to play well with your teammates despite all that stress. And that's how you're going to be judged. And that's how you're going to succeed in your career is how well you handle that. Not so much by your broadcast, not so much by your writing or your appearance or your ability to navigate a challenge on the job. It's how you navigate that issue. Are you somebody who's low stress, low maintenance, who doesn't give your supervisor heartburn or problems and navigates the stress well? WJPZ is your first taste of that. Here you are. Many of us at WJPZ were there during an era where the equipment was unreliable. Yes. Many of us were there when we needed to be in the building. Somebody had to be in the building 24 hours a day, which means we were there at four in the morning on a Wednesday. Right. Those were stresses that we learned how to digest and carry at WJPZ. That's why that real world experience, that professional model WJPZ has built suits us so well because we learned when we're professionals how to carry all that stress and play well in the sandbox. When I brought my now wife to Syracuse the first time for the banquet and she met you, she was like, wow, Scotty Mack, he's really impressive and he's just such a nice guy. You mentioned being easy to work with and not a pain to your bosses. How important is it to be a nice guy in this business or a good person? Every break I've gotten was for that. Every time I've been able to escalate my career, it was because somebody viewed me as somebody who was easy to work with. Um, I mentioned there was one transition that was really pivotal for me. I mentioned it briefly. I was, for quite a while, the correspondent covering Congress for the Cox Media Group, but I kind of didn't know where to go next. I wasn't sure what the next stepping stone was, if there was one. But the news director at the Cox television station in Pittsburgh had worked with me on a few projects and thought that I was really easy to work with. He thought I was nice. And so when he caught a big break, he gave me a big break. He's the one who brought me with him to NBC. Um, Being nice, being somebody who's just easy to work with, who says hello, who asks about, you know, things besides work when you talk to him, that goes a long way. So every time I've had a, a chance to escalate my career, it's because of that dynamic, not anything else. It's a very valuable life lesson there. Are there any significant events in the history of the station that you recall being a part of or big moments in the station's history while you were there? While I was there, <laughs> it's, it's foggier than it used to be in the memory. <laughs> um, before I answer that question, let me just add a footnote to the prior questions. I think it's important for folks listening to hear this. I appreciate that you brought somebody to banquet and is, that person is still with you. Let's yes. start with that. 
but that she thought I was really nice. Let's also say, you're capturing me at my favorite moment of the year. Right. I'm at my nicest when I'm in Syracuse because I'm so enamored to be there. And I love our group so much. It brings out the sunshine in me. I may not be as sweet and lovey-dovey when I'm on the job and somebody's giving me hell. Um, but in Syracuse, it's, it's my dream. Right, right. I'm always at, I'm always at my nicest. Uh, nevertheless, memories at the station. I have deep, visceral memories at the station even after I was gone. That's how devoted uh, so many of us are to WJPZ, that we feel the victories and we feel the defeats that happen after we're gone. So let me lay that foundation. I was incredibly proud when the new studio opened in about 2012. When mm -hmm. the new facility opened, I felt like it was my accomplishment as a WJPZ alum, even though- Part of the family. Uh, we're part of the family. I didn't pay for it and I wasn't able <laughs> to use it as a student, but it felt like my victory. Felt the same way when all the other evolutions that have occurred since 1998 occurred. Um, when I was a student, you know, we, it felt like a big deal to do things that seem so small now. You know, re-imaging the station, um, getting CD players instead of having to use cart machines. That sounds incremental. Let me tell you, at the time, that was a big freaking deal and a life changer. It felt important when we started new news programming, when we expanded the facility. All those things felt big at the time, and in retrospect, they were big because we were exclusively student-run, and we pulled things off with no money, no pay, and only the free time we could muster for WJPZ. All accomplishments felt Herculean. Related to that, when you produced the documentary that I just rewatched an hour ago on the 40th anniversary of JPZ, what did you learn about the station that you didn't know in doing essentially the reporting for that documentary? What was surprised you? The continuity and consistency of the type of person WJPZ produces. The voices from 1973 sounded awful lot like the voices at the time I was producing the documentary in the early 2010s. I was interviewing current students and I was interviewing the founders and they were both saying the same things and they didn't know each hmm. other, you know, <laughs> but through WJPZ, like the symmetry of every generation that's gone through WJPZ, the passion that they have for radio, the undying, relentless energy they bring to the mission. You can't tire us out. You, you can't <laughs> get us to fall out of love with, with broadcasting and radio. And the pride, the unyielding pride every generation has in the fact that students do this. It sounds professional. It operates professionally and is a model for broadcasting and student organizations nationwide. The pride everybody has, no matter when they were here, the fact that the people who founded WJPZ could be the grandparents of the current students, <laughs> yet they speak the same language and they seem like friends and brothers and sisters to each other. That's something that's unique to this organization. And I'll tell you, I've seen other professional networks, other alumni networks, other student groups that have alumni bases. They, they, it is all a joke compared to what we have. The unified family of WJPZ is one of a kind. It's a unicorn. And I take such pride in it. And I think we all do. I'm so glad to hear you say that. Back to my wife for a moment. The first time she came, she said, you know, I talked to like three people from college. I never understood why you talked to so many Syracuse people. And now I get it after being welcomed in as part of the family. So absolutely the case there. When I was watching the documentary and rewatching it, there were just so many nuggets throughout that I'm like, oh, geez, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So obviously the greater point is how similar we have been for five decades now. But any historical parts that you said, oh, geez, I didn't know that. Let me dig a little deeper into that as you got into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I grew a deeper appreciation for the two or three decades in which our radio station was 
broke. I mean, he didn't have any money, but managed to make great things happen. I mean, there was no dedicated university funding to put us on the FM dial. There was no dedicated university funding to help build great studios and the pioneering you know, equipment that got WJPZ on the air in the first place. I mean, WJPZ got on the air in the first place through borrowed, if not stolen parts <laughs> right. from elsewhere in the university campus. Um, I think that's a success. There's the moments where you recognize it was unpaid students doing things professionals do without the ability to put their full time toward it because they are students right. and without having any money. <laughs> I, it's remarkable. And I knew we did it that way for four years. But I had a less than necessary appreciation for how much went into getting these things going with no money and no full-time staff. Do you have any funny anecdotes or stories from your four years at Z89 that stick out to you that, that are, I guess, appropriate for the podcast? Well, that's quite a caveat at the end now, isn't it? Yeah. Appropriate for the podcast. Well, you share whatever you want to share, Scott. <laughs> 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 we did our senior staff meetings, I'm quite certain, at a Denny's on Erie Boulevard that had a rodent infestation um, because it just became a tradition. And we didn't seem to care that there was a rodent infestation. We decided to just do them there because that's who we were. That's what we were. I recall um, being locked into the station on several occasions, being locked out of the stations on several occasions. There was one night we were locked in, couldn't get out of the Watson Theater complex. So I slept beneath the console in the production room. That happened, but I can't be alone in that. What are the mechanics of that? How do you get locked in? It, well, <laughs> all things are possible in the Watson <laughs> Theater Complex. This is true. All good things and all bad things. Um, it's no secret to those of us who, who, who are quite familiar with WJPZ and my story, but I married the girl I met the first day on campus who, you know, was a regular devotee of WJPZ, a regular listener, and hung out at the station. I want everyone to know that we kept all amorousness outside the building. Important to know. Didn't think it'd be appropriate to do that. I hope that's true for everyone who stepped foot in the console and the studio room that I use. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure about that? There's the investigative reporter coming out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found every ounce of the experience to be joyful. I don't remember ever being angry, stressed, mad, unhappy, sad, or displeased when I was inside WJPZ. And that's true to the current day. And that's why it's so special to so many of us. It just brings joy. It brought joy and still brings joy. So for those who don't know Scott, he met his lovely wife, Lisa, at Syracuse. I did not know. So she did not work at the station. She was a listener. And you met as freshmen? We met first day at school. Oh, wow. We met up in the dorm. So that was locked and loaded from the start. Okay. Um, she did not participate in WJPZ, though she was a broadcasting student. I think she didn't want to encroach in something that she saw I was so deeply devoted to. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't have been an encroachment, but I appreciate that she was being judicious about that. Um, she and I were both broadcasters. She stayed in it for 10 years after graduation. Then she um, ended up changing careers to become a school teacher when we wanted to become parents. Mm -hmm. She, though, like every student I felt of the time was a devoted listener of WJPZ. I mean, yeah. we, we had familiarity with the whole campus. I know that's likely still true. I'm mm -hmm. sure it was true when you were there. I'm sure it was true 10 years ago, 30 years ago. That's so cool. And it's not true at every university in America. And that's not true of every broadcasting outlet in America. It's just true of WJPZ, which speaks to the fact that the station's been quite good at reflecting the campus it serves and the community it serves. It's WJPZ. 
at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. I know you're a modest guy, Scott, but it would be remiss of me not to mention in your most current two roles at NBC's affiliate in Washington and at CBS News, the investigative reporting that you've done, particularly in regards to the January 6th riots. The reporting that you have done is the old school, nose to the grindstone, digging through papers and court filings and all that sort of stuff that is really impressive and has resulted in some amazing results and stories that you've broken. You're a great follow on Twitter. What would you say about the idea of what you learned at Syracuse in terms of the old school reporting as opposed to just Googling something or taking the easy way to doing things as opposed to just really, really diving into it for hours and doing the hard work? After a while, you don't have a choice. I mean, you get to a certain strata in the broadcast journalism field. And if you're not finding your own news, if you're not enterprising, scooping, you're going to find you're not very busy. Um, (laughs) For example, here at CBS News, there are many dozens of correspondents and there are 22 minutes of airtime tonight. Right. There are dozens of correspondents and there are two or three who will make the morning show's top block tomorrow morning. So what are you doing that's different? What are you doing that adds value? And usually when you're a reporter, that means you're enterprising. You're finding something everybody else doesn't know. You're finding something that you can't Google. Um, That was true to a degree at NBC. And show up for work today. um, What are you going to do for us? You got some smart people in that room. They they know a lot. What are you going to tell them they don't know already? It's almost like a survival instinct. You better find something that people don't know. January 6th was a unique confluence of two things I was a specialist in. I was particularly good after a couple decades of covering Congress. And I was uniquely good at covering the Washington, D.C. federal court. That was part of my beat at NBC. And those two worlds collided on January 6th because there's an attack on Congress and about 880 people are now being prosecuted in the Washington, D.C. federal court. That's right in my wheelhouse. (laughs) That's two sports I excel in. Now they're one. So I had I had a leg up on folks and I tried to, you know, put some distance between me and the others because I'm pretty good at that one very unique thing, uh, a federal crime that involves Congress. And that speaks to sourcing and relationships that you developed over your time, quite some time in D.C., right? It helps. I think the WJPZ lessons are helped me in a different way. I've shared this story a few times, but there are moments where if you don't have that foundation, you will collapse. My first day at CBS News on the air. Um, I don't think it was a hazing, but it <laughs> seemed like a hazing. Um, my first assignment was actually on January 6, 2022, the anniversary of the insurrection. And my assignment was to be on the morning show and do a two minute long, what we call talk back, um, just a verbal report, no tape, no pre-produced piece about what was happening that day, the scope and size of it, and what's next to the investigation. Mm-hmm. I could have done that with my eyes closed. I've been doing that for the past year, every single day. Right. So I'm like, no problem. What a great way to get started. They're easing me into CBS News. God love them. Then they broke the news to me that this will have to be 
fully scripted because we want to run it past the lawyers and the editorial standards supervisors. Uh, it's, it's about an open investigation. It's about criminal cases. We want to be meticulous. And they're right about that. Okay. And Scott, we think we're going to try to play this casually and conversationally. We're not going to put any video up or lots of graphics. It'll just be you talking to the camera. And we're not going to give you a teleprompter. So we'd like you to do this two minutes verbatim from start to finish, exactly as approved by the lawyers and the standards people. And there'll be nowhere to hide. There'll be no scripts to refer to. And there'll be no teleprompter. Memorize the whole two minutes. Yeah, kind of. Or, but nope. Yeah. And I mean, those of us in broadcasting and those of us who've been in broadcasting in a while all know the secret. The hardest broadcast you'll ever do, the most stressed you'll ever be as a broadcaster is the first time you go on the air at a new place. Because you know who's watching? Everybody is watching. <laughs> you know how judgmental they're going to be? Very. They're going to be at their most judgmental. They're going to look at the way your tie is tied. They're going to look at the way your makeup is. Is your hair straight? How's his diction? How's his vocal tenor? How's his conversationalism? And while you're in that fishbowl, we want you to do two minutes unscripted verbatim. And how did it go? I think I stuck the landing. <laughs> but I wouldn't have come close to doing that if I hadn't done a thousand broadcasts before graduation. Not even close. I don't care how many years you've been in the profession. It's that fundamental muscle memory that kicks in when you're stressed on the air. When they put you on a high wire on the air, all that muscle memory kicks in. We all who have the WJPZ experience will stick that landing because we have all the reps. If I hadn't had that, I'd have collapsed in that moment. And I, I, I don't think they were deliberately trying to test me, but increasingly I'm thinking they might have. <laughs> As you get to know your coworkers, they're a little bit better. Right. In your reporting about such a divisive topic as January 6th, you have been subject to some real ugliness online, yeah. Twitter trolls, some serious threats. How have you been able to handle that? And if you'd rather not go there, that's fine. That's fine. No, it, it's, it's reality. It's far less than it used to be. Uh, I got a lot of kickback from people who were either defendants in the criminal cases or from people who are sympathetic to the defendants in the criminal cases. A lot of that has gone away. Um, on my social media platform of choice for news is Twitter. Mm -hmm. right? It's just the one I'm most effective at utilizing, especially for this story. Um, people who have real concern about what I'm reporting or who want to you know, villainize me, they're largely not on that platform anymore. Huh. Or they've tuned me out. So I, I would say the ratio of trolls is so remarkably small now, it doesn't bother me. At first, it was a thing, and we, 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 we took some you know, precautions to make sure that people who were saying bad things, that we were keeping an eye on them. Um, but as a journalist, you always expect some kickback to what you do. Most times when you report news, somebody doesn't like that you did it. In this world, this January 6th world, it's been so politicized, there's now a whole subset of Americans who don't like anything you report, whether they know the people involved or not. Mm -hmm. And that's my reality, but less so than my colleagues who spent four years reporting on Donald Trump as president. I didn't have to do that. Those people catch hell too. And it's, 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 it's a reality they've dealt with more than I have. Fair enough. I know we certainly appreciate the hard work you do. I want to end on a brighter note, of course. You alluded to this several times already, Scott, the relationships and the big just family that the WJPZ Alumni Association is from the founders in the 70s to the current students. We've got six decades covered with our alumni at this point. Are there, and I don't want to exclude anybody because you're well known and friends with just about everybody in the Alumni Association, but are there any lifelong friendships and relationships that you developed either at your time at WJPZ or as an alum, a few people that you can think of that you've just really have become a big part of your life? 
No, I said, that I, all of them. <laughs> I, when I show up and I see my fellow alums, I feel like I've gone to a family reunion and I want to hug every one of them. I don't know that there's any other organization out there that could do that, mm -hmm. that has the capacity to do that. I'm in other alumni associations. It's, it's something you do. It's something you keep an eye on. WJPZ's alumni association is something you feel. It's in your soul. My favorite moments occur when I'm with a member of the association, one of my fellow family members from WJPZ. You know, he and I or she and I are, are, are having a lunch, having coffee, meeting up somewhere. And we see a third party. And I like to introduce that fellow WJPZ alum as my friend from school. Yeah. And I find myself always saying that, even though that person I'm with didn't actually go to school with me. <laughs> you know, Jag, if you and I were out at Starbucks and somebody came over, we knew, I'd say, hey, he's my friend from school, Jag, even though I graduated before you showed up. Only by a couple of months. I got there in the fall of 98. But you're my friend from school. Right. I see Greg Hernandez, who was a founder of WJPZ, 1973. He's my friend from school. I see the current students and they're my friend from school. And this is the only place on earth where I think that dynamic exists. I love it. And I think it's one of the coolest parts of WJPZ. No offense to the radio programming we produced. No offense to all the things we learned for our professions, uh, including the lesson I just told you about. That's the magic. You can't replicate it, but fortunately, you also can't kill it. We're stuck with that for life. Right. No matter what, the, the alumni association is so strong. And I think I like that the, my friend from school, even though they may be 20 years older or 20 years younger, and to somebody who's on the outside and doesn't know the power of this organization, it's an easier way than trying to explain, well, it's alumni association with this banquet every February, March, we go back for, and it doesn't matter how old you are. It's a much more succinct way to explain this. And that is the mark of a true broadcaster. Scott McFarland, thank you so much for being uh, on this podcast nice. and for all the work you do professionally for the Alumni Association, for the radio station. Uh, you want to give a quick plug for your Twitter before we go? Oh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. So long as my wife doesn't throw the phone away, because she's about done with me being on Twitter. She's about <laughs> done with me posting updates. It's a McFarland News and... It's a lot of orange stuff you'll see there. A lot of orange ties, a lot of Syracuse gear that somehow makes cameo appearances in every post. I love when you tweet that you're wearing something orange from the set of CBS News and then all the alumni get excited. That we always enjoy when you do. People need to know that. People need to know that. Scott, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real honor and a pleasure. Oh, best part of my day. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.